Hey, everyone. The wise and wonderful April Beyer is back as my co-host for this month's special episode. Our first call today is with Summer, who wonders how and when she should bring up her anxiety and depression with men she's dating. April has some great advice and shifts the conversation to a much bigger idea that relates to everyone in the dating world. Next, we talk with Zoe, who wonders what she can do when her mom's chronic pain is affecting everyone in her family. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If there's something you'd like to talk with us about, please write to us at unqualified.com. We would love to hear from you. All right, guys, here's April. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. April, I have missed you so very much. (laughs) Oh, Anna, right back at you. I have really missed you. There have been so many moments where I think to myself, April would know how to answer this. I've been listening and it's sounding great. I don't know, but thank you. I just love you and I'm happy to see you. Love you back and I'm happy to be here with you. All right, let's talk to Summer. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi. How are you, Summer? I'm doing so good. How are you guys? Really great. Hi, Summer. Hi. Thank you for your email. Will you tell our listeners what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been single for about four years, mainly by choice. (laughs) I just am not thrilled about the current dating climate that we're living in. And I really think that when you have relationships, it's normal to talk about your exes, your family, your passions, your traumas, but it's just taboo to talk about mental health and having anxiety or anything that comes along with that. So for me, my question is two parts. First, when to talk about mental health, anxiety, more than just normal feelings and how to talk about it. That's what I'm inquiring about. Well, tell us a little bit about your dating history, if you don't mind. Oh man, (laughs) dating history, you mean like long-term or just kind of my patterns. And in how, I guess your question also relates to maybe a recent situation if you've had one. Yeah. um, So I've had maybe two to four month long relationships that were committed to each other, but not anybody that if I met you, I would introduce them as my boyfriend, you know, just kind of little spurts of relationships. Um, I was dating this guy and he asked me how my day was going. And I said, oh my gosh, I just had the biggest anxiety attack today. I was just having a lot of issues and I had to take some time just to step away from what was going on. And his reaction was, oh, I also dated somebody who had anxiety and she also had a Xanax problem and drank too much. So for me, my automatic reaction was like, 
I mean, we all kind of deal with it differently, but having mental issues and anxiety is always kind of twofold into addiction or their own pills, or it's more reactive than proactive if you're talking about it. I've been married a long time ago. <laughs> um, and that kind of also is a reason that I haven't really been looking for something in the past four years. I, I meet people and I don't know when to talk about mental health or when to talk about anxiety. And then once you do, it's almost like not okay. It's either too soon or they had an experience with somebody in the past who may have had a different coping mechanism or issue. Summer, in the last two-month relationship that was kind of not defined yet, well, first of all, how much did you like this person? Second of all, do you think that this conversation was the catalyst for not being together anymore? Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm one of those people. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm an empath. I'm a giver. And so if I am putting my time and energy into somebody, I am interested. You know, I don't want to date anybody else. I'm not online dating anybody else. That That is something that I was definitely interested in as far as that relationship went. And I think because he reacted to something to me that was just so you know, hey, I had a bad moment today. <laughs> On a Tuesday, I'm communicating with you. For me, that was like, oh, you know what? If you don't have compassion for somebody else who had something and that was your immediate reaction to something that I was just kind of communicating with you, that was a huge turnoff for me. I mean, it could have been something that could have been mended, but it just was, was kind of sour. So you each had red flags in a way. He was equating you with his previous relationship and also not really listening. But I imagine his response to you felt like more of a gut punch. Oh, for sure. <laughs> if somebody says, hey, uh, April, how was your day today? Oh, it was awful. It was just terrible. I, I ate a bad sandwich. I don't feel well. My initial reaction is going to be like, oh, I have a friend who also didn't feel well and she's on Xanax. You know, I mean, how are you? How are you feeling now? You know, I mean, it was a gut punch because I felt like there could have been either, oh, I'm so sorry, or just, you know, a little bit more support. I totally feel you on that. I'm just wondering if you felt a little heartbreak from it. Yeah, because I do put a lot into relationships, not just the beginning, you know, ongoing, and it did sting. I mean, I, I didn't really expect that. And that wasn't a topic that we had talked about or, you know, something that we brought up. But yeah, absolutely. And then how long after did the relationship kind of dissolve? Uh, about two weeks. And I, it was all me. It wasn't like anything he said triggered me just to be like, oh, well, I'm going to be mad about this. But it almost made me more conscious of things that he was saying, you know, like I'd ask him a question and his automatic reaction would be negative. And I think that turning point of him having that reaction of when I was communicating with him almost made me look at him differently. But also I was like, oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Two months and we're good. <laughs> I think it's really impressive, actually, that you were like, oh, this is shifted. I mean, I am a three-month dating queen, which is probably not a great quality to have. I always have this kind of moment at three months where I write down kind of how I'm feeling. And if it's not something that I'm getting, you know, equal, or if it's something that I am getting, you know, that time put back into me as a partner, then I kind of do analyze that. But at that two-month mark, I wouldn't do any of that. It was just, you know, a casual conversation. And then it just fell apart. So, yeah. Summer, I'm so glad that April's here today to talk to you because <laughs> <Me too. laughs> she knows all about this stuff. 
Yeah, I do, Summer. And my heart goes out to you. You know, I have a woman that I coach who literally has your exact same story. You know, she has high anxiety and also some health issues as well. And it's very hard for her to date. She is indeed an empath. And she feels that if she is going to be truthful and authentic, that she's going to want to share this with new men that she dates. And she's always walking that line of, you know, how soon is too soon to share this information. Yeah. I want to bring something up to you, which I think is interesting. You called yourself the three-month dating queen. That's actually good. There's a reason for that because the 90-day mark of dating is when the wheels come off, if they're going to come off. It's the strangest thing. It's in threes. Three dates, three months. The three-month thing is when I see all of the wheels coming off of the relationships is because that's when the mask comes off. That's when people are kind of a little bit fatigued of the representative, if you will, the person that shows up and kind of everything's peachy and everything's wonderful. And then you start to see sort of the, the cracks. My question to you is what are you doing before that three months? So if you have these things that you want to share and you want that connection and authenticity with somebody, are you being somebody different day one, month one, than you are in month three when you really start to evaluate and write your list? It's a good question. (laughs) Um, You know, to be honest, I don't think so because I go into a relationship if it's, you know, super new with my intentions that are out there, like here, I want one person to focus on. I would love to see you and talk to you and be consistent. Here's where my goals are and here's where we align. And that could not be the case. (laughs) It's not. I'm constantly learning about myself as we all are. But yeah, I mean, I try to really bring my true self to every relationship that I'm in and not even just dating. I mean, with work and with my family and with friends. So yeah, you know, I feel a little intensity with that. And the thing I would love to share with you is you should never, ever avoid your own feeling because your feelings are real, right? They're not right or wrong. They're just, they are what they are. But it's kind of like cast not your pearls before swine kind of thing, right? So you want to make sure that when you meet somebody new, that you're feeling these feelings of like, hey, here's what I want. But it's not always necessary that you share up front with a new guy. These are my goals. Here's how I feel about you. Because what you're kind of doing is you're trying to be honest, but you're front-loading a lot. And it could be front-loading to somebody who hasn't earned your trust and respect yet. And it could feel like a lot to that person. What I would encourage you to start doing is to feel those feelings and just know that your presence speaks volumes. You know, I'm looking at you and you're beautiful and strong and smart and the way you articulate and the way you speak and carry yourself. You have to trust that people will take you seriously and they'll know that you have good intentions without you actually laying it out verbally to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been told that I'm a little too intense at times, not just with dating, just with everybody, because... I am just like, like it or lump it. Life is short. Let's do this. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I get it. I get it. But, you know, when we're dating somebody, it's tennis. We're not playing, you know, racquetball with ourselves. We've got to get it over the net. So there's a consciousness and an awareness of how much can this person hear, receive? How much can they process? Because we're all different. And it's hard to expect that the men you're going to date will be immediately able to process everything the way you do. So the kindness factor is to say, I feel this way right now. It might be too much for this person to hear. So out of kindness and compassion, I'm going to roll it out gently and I'm going to be very like aware of my audience. And I'm going to share 
not just what I want to share, but I want to share according to how they can listen to me so that they will get me. And it might just have to be little drips instead of like opening up the floodgates because that's just your intention. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it totally does. And, and don't get me wrong. It's not like, hey, nice to meet you. I have severe anxiety. And <laughs> this is how I feel. I mean, it is, you know. Do you want to get married? Hey, yeah. good news. Day two. We're engaged. Let's do this. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Summer, in your dream of dreams, what do you want? How would you love to see a new relationship unfold? <sighs> One that's really genuine. I find that a lot of men that I'm meeting are very bright and shiny on the outside and lead with what they think you want to kind of see. What did April call that? The representative self? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody brings their rep to the table. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, I think just like genuine, being able to trust, you know, the qualities that I look for in a partner are, uh, I want to be able to have somebody who's creative, I'm creative, has drive, we share similar interests and opportunities, but also have that balance where we're going to learn from each other. But my ideal dream would be Justin Thoreau. I mean, if that's an option, that just put it out there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You know, we also have to step into responsibility of who we attract. So you're an empath. You have a lot of sensitivity. You have a lot of awareness. You call it intensity. I don't love the word intensity, like I'm intense. Usually if somebody says, you're intense, next time they say that, go, what do you mean by that? Right? Because everybody's going to have their own definition of intense. Just say, what do, you, what do you mean by intense? And if we unpack that and we keep drilling down, we'll figure out what that means. Usually that means somebody can't process or they can't handle what it is that we're giving them. April, people used to always say, like in college, they would say things like, you're so dramatic, which I took as an insult because it felt like it was, I don't know, that my feelings weren't real as <laughs> I was trying to usually like convey some embarrassing story or something like that. But it's the same idea, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, did you tell them, like, one day I'm going to be a very famous actress? <laughs> no. I would just look at them with confusion, like, because I viewed a dramatic person, I guess, as somebody who would potentially take something minor and make it into a larger issue. Right. I think that I was just really expressive. You were just expressive. So <laughs> what people, they don't understand what they themselves mean when they say, you're so dramatic, or you're so intense, or you're so sensitive. We have to consider the source, right? These people are not experts that say this. They're only standing in their own shoes and going, you're dramatic, you're too sensitive, you're this. There's no such thing, right? What they're really saying is, I don't know how to feel that. I don't know how to process that. Because I've never told anybody they're too dramatic or too sensitive or too intense. I've only told people you're not channeling it correctly or you're not being aware enough of who you're speaking to. Your intensity is beautiful. Your sensitivity is beautiful. The way you express is actually quite cool. But it's also we have to be aware of who are we around and are they able to receive it. Summer, can I ask you to not to dwell too much on the past, but will you tell us a little bit about your previous marriage? Yeah, um, it was quick. <laughs> we got married really, really quickly, which I think was part of the spiral downfall. And, you know, I didn't ever talk about depression or anxiety. You know, it was just kind of something that I was learning about, you know, it was in my twenties and that was a while ago. So, you know, that's the stigma and, and it's, that's something that people don't really talk about. And I didn't really know about that, how I was until I went through therapy, until I was going through 
getting the coping mechanisms and how I should be able to treat it myself and, and what works for me. Yeah, it just wasn't, it was two years maybe. It was just, you know, I don't have kids. It was just a quick kind of union. <laughs> Has it made you gun shy at all about like, how big is the scar of the divorce? Um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of guilt for it. I still do. You know, there'll be times where I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and the first thing that pops into my head, and it's not just because of that, but it's like anxiety, you know, it's like, oh, I failed. I didn't do this. I, I disappointed people. And I don't think that really carries over to my now current relationships because this was long enough to, you know, go on to my own next person and same with him. But I definitely carry it in my heart. You know, I definitely kind of always think about that. Like, is this too soon? Is this is this right? Is this wrong? You know, I can't really honestly tell you relationships that I've been in that I have talked about anxiety or depression. It either presents in some form or when I'm quiet or if I'm not giving enough, that's when it's the question. You know, it's like, oh, what's wrong with you? Because we haven't really discussed anything. And that's kind of why I wrote in. It's because I think you should talk about it, but also when and how. Yeah. Well, it begins with who you're choosing, right? You said something interesting about, you know, the guys show up out of the gate very bright and shiny. Not all guys do, right? And so when you talk about, you know, you're not thrilled with the current dating landscape, I'm really interested to find out more about why you think that the current dating landscape is different than any other time. I think it's kind of the society that we live in right now. Everything's so quick and there's okay. different options. So I work remotely from home and I'm not out in the public landscape every day <laughs> meeting people or, you know, going out and actively going to a restaurant or a bar with friends to meet people. It's just not really my style. So for me, it's either through friends or through happenstance if I'm out somewhere or online dating. So I think that because of that reason, it is tough. The dating landscape, the culture is a little bit different than it was 10 years ago when I wasn't working from home and I was meeting a ton of people and it was more casual instead of, oh, okay, well, we matched. Now what? <laughs> you know, it's just a lot different. April, you must hear this all the time, right? All day. I mean, <laughs> pretty much, you know, 10 hours a day I'm dealing with this. So the good news, Summer, is you're not alone. Like everybody feels this exact same way. There are people listening right now going, oh, I can't stand the way things are right now. Just keep in mind that the dating landscape, the only reason why it's different is because the, sort of the car that gets us there is a little speedier, it's a little faster. You don't take the long road to get there, you take the shortcut. And life isn't about shortcuts. Anything that's beautiful in our lives, we didn't get there quickly. So remember this, whether it's a dating app or not, that's just the vehicle to get you to the date. Once the date happens, it's just like any other time. It's like 20, 30, 50 years ago. So nothing is different. If you find that you're meeting people that you can't quite trust, we can talk about when and how to bring up mental health, but there's something to do before then. And it's in sort of your own frame and how you choose. Basically, you're the casting director is how you have to look at this, right? So if we've cast well, when you roll out, hey, I have anxiety, hey, I have sleepless nights, hey, I might have some depression, it will land beautifully because you've got the right people in your life to begin with. And so then there is no right or wrong answer of when or how. So when you see somebody, because not all men present as bright and shiny in the beginning, some guys you meet and they're just so authentic and lovely. I remember when I first met my husband, I think it was on our second or third date, and he was taking me to a sushi date. And he starts just telling me like 
some really serious stuff about his first wife and how he had been cheated on. And I remember thinking, gosh, there's a lot of women that would run for the hills on a second, third date because he was being so vulnerable. You know, he wasn't trying to look cool around me. And he was expressing something that was hurtful to him and caused him pain a decade prior, and that he was still not fully trusting women as a result. And because I am who I am, the information landed beautifully. And I didn't think, oh, this guy, he's too this and too that. I just went, what a sweetheart. I know he'll care for my feelings. And when I unveil something, because he's doing it himself. It's all about the intention, right? Yeah, you have to read people. Yeah. So if you're out with a guy, Summer, and you think, wow, he's presenting as bright and shiny and everything's great, either he is that guy and he's one note superficial and that's all he's got, like the depth isn't there. So therefore, there won't be any good time to tell him anything else because that's not the right person. So it's either you want to look under the hood and you're like, okay, this guy is sort of presenting as this perfect shiny guy and he's really like, wow, I'm really attracted to him. But if he himself isn't sharing anything, and I'm talking first, second, third, fourth date, if he is not sharing emotion and it doesn't have to be negative, it doesn't have to be, oh, I was hurt when I was five or this happened to me, literally just meaning like it could be positive emotion too. If that person isn't expressing emotion early on to you, they may not be the person that is going to be able to understand and process information. And I think it's why at that 90-day mark, you start making your list, right? Because their mask is coming off and you're starting to kind of settle in where you're like, okay, this is three months. I'm able to start sharing and I should be able to tell him. And if you haven't sort of trickled in the information up until that point, it can be kind of shocking to someone. But have you met somebody since your ex-husband that you thought, wow, like really sharing, really communicating with me and putting himself in kind of a vulnerable, honest position, like date one, two, three. Have you met anybody like that? Yeah, I dated somebody a couple of years ago who was like that. Unfortunately, he had ex-wife drama <laughs> that, that really held us back um, and that was out of my hands. But yeah, I mean, it was just that initial first date and on, it, it was back and forth. You know, we'd both kind of similar in the regard of we're both, very open with our emotions. I think on our second date, he just stopped me mid-conversation and said, I have to tell you that I have a lot of anxiety and depression. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> so do I. And I didn't say that. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, this is great. Um, but not really very often do I hear that. I don't really feel like that's something that has been kind of a repetitive pattern for uh, men that I've been dating. April, is that a side effect with dating apps? When you have access to a lot of people who maybe go on a lot of dates, do you think that people are more guarded and don't reveal as much initially? 100%. 100%. Yep, absolutely. You said it perfectly. There's this reluctance to open up because it's like everything feels so fleeting and temporary. And the minute the wind blows, everybody's like cutting and running because, hey, I've got 50, 100 other people in my inbox wanting to, to know me. But the ROI is so, so small on that because you could be swiping on 350 people a month and you might end up talking to two. And out of those two, you might, might meet one. The numbers are not great, but it has put people back a little bit because, you know, I've noticed over the years with sort of the advent of dating tech, 
people used to go out and give each other one, two, three, four, five dates before they would say, let's call it quits. Now it's like, I look at you for five minutes and I'm out the door. So I feel for you, Summer. You've got a lot of stuff going on in you and stuff you want to share and things you want to give and offer in a relationship and what you want to receive. And you're doing it in a fast-paced world. But you have the power, Summer, to slow things down despite the current dating climate. You can control the environment, right? The woman kind of leads in this, but we have to be very cognizant of who are we talking to. You'll know if a guy can care for your feelings if on the first, second, third dates, he's saying things like, hey, can you call me when you get home? I want to make sure you got home okay. Or, hey, you know, is your dog still sick? How's he doing? You know, you'll hear questions coming at you, and that way you know you're not with a narcissist, is when they're really asking you questions, and they're waiting for the answer. And they're not just waiting for the answer so they can pile it on. They're waiting for your answer so they can then continue to take care of you. Very few guys know how to do this. <laughs> and you don't need many, Summer. You only need one, right? You need one person. So don't fall into this trap of like, oh, we've got to appeal to the masses just because there's dating tech. That's not true. See if he's asking you questions about how you feel about something. Make sure you're sharing as much of your positive emotion as you are the difficult stuff so that when you do share hey, I'm having a day of absolute trauma or an anxiety day. Like, I can't, I, I got to go to bed. I'm exhausted or whatever you want to share that they're already accustomed to you saying like, I've had the most amazing day. Like, I laughed so hard today or I'm like, whatever that is, right? So that they get accustomed to how you share. But what we first need is we need to find the guy because you said, I want genuine, I want trust. I like a guy who's creative and has drive and common interests. But I didn't hear you say, I want a man of compassion, of care. I want a man who's a protector, provider. Because meeting somebody else who says, hi, I have anxiety and depression, and you're like, oh, I think I love you, isn't necessarily the answer. Because sometimes when we're in the hole, we want somebody who's standing above us who can reach out for our hand and pull us out of it, right? What we want is somebody who has more awareness. He doesn't even have to understand any kind of mental health issues. He just has to be somebody who understands people and understands himself and feels really confident in who he is. And he's got a lot of love and care to give. So it might be time to just reprioritize your list. If he's creative, awesome. It's a bonus. But you can't go out the door on a second, third, fourth date unless you come home at night and you literally get in your dating diary and you go, okay, was he kind? Yes, check. Was he curious? Check. <laughs> did he share? Did I feel like what I got from him was real and deep? Whether he was talking about deep issues or not, did I feel like it was authentic? Yes, check. Because you can't get lost in the stories and how much interest in chemistry you guys have. You got to really, really button this down, especially because of who you are, Summer, because you have so much to feel and you want to be in that safe place to land. And therefore, if you're attracting that kind of guy and you're only giving those guys a second, third, fourth, fifth date, by the time you bring up the things you want to bring up, it's going to be like a cakewalk. It'll be so fluid that it'll just roll off your tongue and it will be received and you will be embraced. But it has to begin earlier on than that. We have to make sure we're talking to the right people. April, even if Summer is spending all this time at home, do you have any advice beyond or in addition to, you know, meeting people online? 
Yeah, it's hard because people aren't gathering the way they've been, right? We're all in a mask when we're out, and it's just more challenging. Even when people are wearing their mask (laughs) out and about, you still see their eyes, right? You still see the connection. So if you're at the grocery store and you see someone, you can't be afraid to say hello and think of it as a human experience and forget about the potential for a date or love or romance. You can meet people organically when it's more of your choice. So I think women need to figure out how to be the choosers instead of being the chosen. That old concept of rest on your laurels and be mysterious and let them approach you and he's got to court you. It's like, okay, but if we really want to be in command and control of our lives as women, why aren't we doing more to be proactive in the choosing instead of using this old, 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 outdated concept of, I'm just going to wait and let this guy choose me. Because sometimes it can be their ego. You have intuitive powers. We all do. You can sense somebody from across the room. So there is a world out there at the grocery store, at the gas station, on your walks, whatever you're doing, even though you're working remote, there is ample opportunity to meet people organically. Utilize what you have to make really, really good choices and be more proactive. Because when you're proactive in that way, you don't actually have to lay it on the line on first, second dates. A lot of women do this. They'll go, I just want you to know that I am only interested in a relationship. This is what I'm looking for. And that we're not doing enough of just inquiry and just being there, right? Without any kind of attachment to the outcome. Because when we get attached to the outcome, we put too much pressure on a relationship on ourselves, on the other person, because we want our goal. Instead of like, I'm just going to be here at coffee. I'm just going to be here at lunch. And I'm going to just get to know this new human being. Because when we attach it to love, sex, and the outcome, these guys can kind of slip through the cracks. Like they can kind of get into your life and into your bed and your heart and your house. And they don't deserve to be there. And it's because we got so mission-driven with like, this is what I want. And Summer, the guy who compared you to his ex or the ones who called you intense. I just don't think those people were very imaginative or compassionate. And I don't think you should absorb those lazy comments. Yeah, I mean, Summer, we're hearing you, and we're hearing, how do I bring this stuff up, and when? Because last time it was wrong. Right. So we have this sense memory to something that we did before, and so we think, oh, maybe it's wrong to share this. I mean, I kind of think you probably did it perfectly. It was just the wrong person, right? So you're questioning yourself and it's coming back to why you still wake up at night. And man, do I feel you because I have this thing called like conversation remorse where I'll wake up out of a dead oh, sleep God. at three in the morning and go, I can't believe I said that. You know? yeah, I'm, yeah. yeah, like, oh, what was I thinking? Yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm fine with that. I'm fine with a little bit of that anxiety because it means that I'm thinking, right? And I'm working through something. So I allow myself that. I think you just need to trust yourself more. Because when you say, oh, I have guilt over the marriage, I failed people, I disappointed people, there's still too much focus outside on how you need to be for people or making sure that you're saying this perfectly. And I'm saying, forget that. Trust yourself. Trust your intuition. Trust that the timing when you feel safe and you're going to share something, that that is the right time. If it doesn't land, you're in the wrong room. There's a saying, don't change your talk change your audience. Yeah, I've heard that before for sure. Right? Yeah. And April, you've said some pretty pretty crazy things that I honestly haven't even really thought about or processed. One of them was, 
uh, not verbatim, but, you know, the end goal or the end results, that's, you know, what's being focused on when you're meeting somebody. Like, I don't ever go into anything like, oh, I want to marry this person. But I do go into relationships with, I would like to date this person long-term. I would like to be in this relationship with them. But I kind of think about that too much at the beginning, you know, when I should be learning about them and them learning about me. I mean, that that is my aha moment today, <laughs> for sure. Good. You mean you haven't been doing that? You don't think you've been asking enough questions or? Um, I don't know if it's not asking enough questions. I just feel like sometimes it's just so robotic. You know, it's like, how are you today? I'm great. How are you today? So either it's the wrong person or maybe I'm not investing enough with my time and with that because I'm so used to being single for four years and kind of groundhog daying dating, you know, it's like, oh, here we go again. Let's, let's go on this first date and see if this goes on or if it doesn't, what are we doing? I haven't really thought about that. You know, I've just been kind of going through the motions. Ah, well, <laughs> there you go. I mean, if you've been going through the motions, you know, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. If you're putting in 10%, you're going to get 10%. And so therefore, of course, when you share something really, really important, of course, it's going to be really scary and it might not land well because you haven't taken the time. When we're so mission-driven and we're so goal-oriented in dating, we miss all the signs. We miss the things that we should have seen and we're like, oh, damn it. And then by that time, you're intimately involved, you're sexually involved, and then it's too late to get off the bus. And then there's hurt feelings. Instead, if we just started meeting people and just getting to know him as a human being, not to test him, not to test out the relationship, but just to be. The women that I know that duty date or that kind of go on autopilot, like you're saying, have the hardest time finding love. And they think that if they're mission-driven and they have all their ducks in a row and they're asking the questions of like, do you want kids? Do you want this? Are you okay with that? That they think that that makes them safe, that that gets them further down the line. And it actually does the exact opposite. It's the people that take their eye off the target and just enjoy the process of getting to know new people. Like, I don't know where this is going to go. I'm just enjoying your company. And in, if I'm not enjoying your company, I get out quickly and easily because it's no longer serving me, right? Yeah. But I feel like we don't always have to like tell everybody everything. We don't have to say, I want the 2.5 car garage and the three children. And by the way, I have mental health issues. Like we're all in such a hurry that no wonder things are in chaos. It's okay. You're not hiding by not oversharing in the beginning. You're just kind of going along, right, and learning about things. I think we all need to do that. Look at the stories that people share and ask yourself, what does that story mean to me? Does it mean he's adventurous? Does it mean he's compassionate? Does it mean that he's sensitive? Figure that stuff out first, and then how you relay, I have anxiety, will be smoother. It's never going to be perfect, but it's going to be easier to relay the information because you already know who you're talking to. You know the character and the values of the person you're speaking to. And then it's a moment for connection. Like they've been watching you and your behavior. And so they're like, oh, she's got some intensity to her, <laughs> right? But the intensity comment is usually because that person isn't doing enough listening and they've got their mission. That's when people get the label of your intense. Yeah. The more interesting people I know are kind of intense, but that's still such a simplistic idea and not the whole story. Any label is pretty limiting, but I wouldn't be offended if someone called me intense. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, it all comes down to, in my opinion, trust. Trust of ourselves. We don't have to worry if we can trust a guy to receive information. We have to trust ourselves. And if I were to share something with you, Summer, 
and you couldn't process it, I'm not going to turn on myself and feel bad that you went, whoa, April, that's a little too much. I'm just going to say, oh, I guess, you know, we weren't meant to be friends and it's okay. It's totally okay. But I'm not going to change my tune and what I know about myself because I have to accept my story before I let anybody else hear my story. So if you're okay, really, really okay, and you don't think of this as a stigma and you don't think of this as a bad thing, but you think of this as part of your whole, right? This is part of who you are as a human being. This is your own human experience and it's beautiful and it's yours, but you've got to get right with it first in order for anybody else to feel right about it. So it's not like, dun, 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 I just need to tell you that I have anxiety. It's like, hey, by the way, you know, I've got, I've got anxiety. Now, I'm not going to fear how that's going to land as much as I would if I didn't like my story. If I was like, oh, I just need to tell you something because I'm afraid you're going to leave me if I tell you. I'm afraid you're going to not accept me. But if I care more about me and I own my story and I love my story, how it lands on you and what you do with it doesn't really matter that much to me. Yeah, that's great. I think for me, a big part of it is that I don't talk about my mental health or anxiety. (laughs) And so when something does happen, that's when something either happens in the relationship or it goes in a different way that isn't for the positive. Like you got to be honest with people, right? Now, if that affects the relationship, that's okay. Let these people go. Because right now you need to be more discerning about who you date. We don't need to perfect your pitch. We need to perfect your choosing. Yeah, big time. (laughs) Get you more in the driver's seat, get you more conscious about this stuff. Everything else will take care of itself if you've done the first part. Isn't April amazing? Hopefully this has been helpful and you have enough ideas to chew on. I think too many. (laughs) No, (laughs) April, you are magical. I know. (laughs) No, and it's, it's funny. There's a couple of things that you said that really kind of like really resonated with me that I give that advice to my friends. So why am I not the one listening to my advice? We're all guilty of that, right? But one of the things that you said, I was like, I just told my friend that two days ago. Why am I? Let's write it down and remind myself. (laughs) Summer, thank you so much for sharing. And know that your call and, and your being so open, a lot of people will be comforted, I think because they'll, they also will know that they're not alone. I hope so. I think that it's important to talk about, maybe not on the first date. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, thank you so much. It was really nice to meet both of you. Thank you, you as so well. much, Summer. Bye. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. April, I love, and this happens consistently, you just hit the nail on the head in terms of reading people and articulating your advice in a wonderfully kind and digestible way. Thank you. And especially with all these questions about people dating, how do they do it? How do you negotiate these complicated waters now, especially with having like a massive pool? Yeah, I think, you know, listening to Summer, I think it's clear we just have to go back to the basics, right? Like sometimes we have questions about things and frustrations. We'll label it dating or we'll say I'm having an issue with this person in my life. But if you've noticed, it always comes back to like fundamental things. And it usually comes back to trust or fear, right? If you're coming from trust and you have self-knowledge, a lot of this stuff is solvable, but we kind of like get a little lost, right? We get a little in the weeds. You're exactly right because Summer's question was too specific and too basic almost, which was like, should I tell somebody on the first date, essentially, that this is part of my life, my anxiety and my depression, when the question is larger? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Because her specific question is not answerable. It has to do with, you're right, like intuition and trust. And I love what you said about sharing the positive emotions as well. And I like how you expanded the dialogue. Yeah, thank you. You know, it'd be one thing if somebody was calling in and saying, can you teach me how to be more intuitive or make better choices? And I realized, Anna, we actually never answered her (laughs) with when to bring up mental health issues and how. We never answered that because we went on to a bigger thing that I think will end up serving her far greater than that answer. But hopefully she got it because I think if she were to say it, it would mostly be, I want to share something with you because it's part of me and it's part of my life. And here's what I know about myself. And sometimes this happens. But she should also understand why is she sharing it? To what end? Who is she sharing it with? What does she want to receive from the response? And what will she do depending on the response, right? So all of these things almost can be sort of reverse engineered. Right. And I loved the idea of thinking of oneself, especially for women, as a casting director. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think that a lot of us tend to worry so much that we're not being accepted, Mm -hmm. that we forget that we have 50% of the say in this idea. Yes. And that's what I need women to know, right? It's like, don't get into your victim mentality. We are the choosers. The man will say, would you like to go have dinner? And the man will say, would you marry me? But I really believe women are choosing long before that. And we have to step up into our power and our responsibility of saying, you know what? I'm not wrong. My choice was wrong. I love that. Okay. Shall we talk to Zoe? I'd love to. Hi, Zoe. Thank you so much for writing to us. Will you tell us what's going on? Yeah. So 
the general problem I'd say is like how to transition from being like your parents' child to an adult child. I'm 27, so it's not like I'm fresh out of college or anything. And it's not coming from my parents. Like I'm the youngest, so my siblings are adult siblings and they're like ready for it and they respect like the person I'm becoming. It's just getting frustrated personally for me because my mom has chronic pain. And so it's been like this for 20 years. We're at a point where like it is what it is. And now we just have to deal with the aftermath of it. And we've enabled her a lot over the years as a family. But I think it's time for her to take some culpability. And while I don't understand the pain she's in on a regular basis, I think there's a lot of function that can be gained. And so it's, A, how do I tell her, you know, get your own damn spoon. It's like two feet to the left. And B, how do I talk to my dad? on setting boundaries when he just like shuts down every time it comes up. That sounds really hard for everyone. You know, when it first started, she lost her career because of it, you know. So like she was understandably very depressed and it took a very long time to figure out what was wrong. But now we figured it out and now it's just, you know, nerve damage and physical deterioration. Zoe, do you live with your folks? I go home quite often. And what's that like? It's just like that we walk through the door and we don't have a second. And like, it's really hard to see my dad come home from work and like immediately be hounded on. And it's like, can you get me a spoon when she just needs to take like two little steps to her left and open the drawer? Or like she was just in the fridge. She can put the milk away. It's like very little things like that that I think can help build her strength and her sense of independence. Does your dad complain to you? He's had this role for quite a while, and he just does this. Yeah. And do your siblings take on the burden of this like you do? My brother's like, he's not home very often. My sister is there more often, so she sees it a lot. And then I also see it a lot more because they were already out of the house when everything started happening. To what extent have you talked to your mom about being a little proactive in recovery? I mean, that's kind of the question because I was young when this all started. I didn't know. So, you know, I just wanted to help her. And then I kind of swallowed everything growing up. And then now I'm like older. I have opinions. I'm fed up. I don't like seeing my dad get like hounded on and frustrated about it and things like that. Gosh. Zoe, I am sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, because it sounds like you sense, not that she's faking anything, but that you wish that she was stronger in this. I think the problem is she's gotten too used to asking for help. And so it's like, how do I overcome my own like sheepishness to be like, come on. I love my folks. I'm really close with them. But why do you go home so frequently? Because I'm like in a dorm room right now off of like 84 and it's just a lot nicer to be home (laughs) that's totally when i would go home all the time too like laundry and food yeah (laughs) and in your letter you told us zoe that you're in medical school Mm -hmm. wonderful yes are you the only child in the medical field yeah my siblings went to law school you said she lost her career zoe what was your mom's career she was also a doctor oh gosh when this happened to her Did you still get nurtured? Even though she had chronic pain, you were seven. Did you all still feel like you were babied and nurtured and taken care of by her? No, not really. Yeah, it was pretty hard for her. Okay. 
emotionally was she caring and giving, even when she couldn't physically be there for you? Or was the, just the pain so intense that she just... She was like really depressed. Depressed, yeah. So she was pretty absent. My parents were pretty distracted by the time I was growing. Yeah. Oh, Zoe, I'm sorry. So sorry. Have you asked your dad, because you were so young when this pain started, what your mom was like pre-children, pre-pain when she was a doctor? I haven't really asked in that sense. I started asking my siblings more just because they are so much older than me, like what it was like before I came into the family, like the family pre-Zoe, post-Zoe, but never really in the sense of like, like I know she had a career. She loved her career. She was always working. And I think like if it wasn't the pain, then I kind of would have been neglected because of her career. But I do remember coming across one picture where like I was like three or something and I was sitting on her hip and she was on the phone and she just looked so happy and full of life. And I was like, wow, that's somebody you didn't really know. You haven't experienced. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of heartbreaking. Have you tried now that you are 27 and in medical school? Have you tried coming at this from your medical knowledge as opposed to the daughter? Yeah. She's talked to me about like what her physical therapist does. And I understand all of it. And like, I could help with it if I was there more. And like, I've almost thought sometimes like, what if I bartered a bit, you know, like, I'll help you with this muscle if you like practice walking straight or something, but I'm not always home or I have a lot of studying to do. So it's just. What do you think is stopping her from being proactive in things like that? Is it depression, do you think? Not anymore. I think it's, maybe it seems like it'll take too long. Part of me thinks that she just expects to wake up feeling better one day. Huh. Because it's an awfully long time. It's a long time. Yeah. I have a mother who has autoimmune issues, and she's been sick for as long as I can remember. And she has really good days, and she's had really bad days. And one thing I've learned through my journey with my mother is that I can tell her to do a million things. I can say, you need to walk more, you need to not eat that, or you need to do this, or you need to take your medication. And I've realized over the years, the older I get, that I can't impose my will on her. You get to a point in your life where daughter or not, and I love my mom, that you have to let people live their life. You have to let people be who they are, and you have to kind of look under the hood at what's going on. I thought it was interesting, Zoe, that you said you want her to do these things so that she can gain strength and independence. But I'm getting that your mom doesn't want the thing that you want. Your mom wants attention. Your mom wants to be babied, literally babied, like here's your spoon. And I don't know what your mom's childhood was like, but I'm going to guess that she didn't get enough of that early on. And through this pain cycle and the loss of career, right, where she got to really just bury herself intellectually and physically into her career, that's gone now. She's sort of reverting back. Does that ring true at all, Zoe? I think a little bit because I think she gets lonely because she's in the house all day. My dad's at work and I'm in school and then we come home and we're all tired, but she's just getting started. But it's confusing because it was very hard for her to ask for help initially, right? And so now it's almost autopilot. Like, I don't know if it's that she wants the attention or if it's just like, this is what it is now. I think it's deeper than that because I think it's feeding her in some way. And it's not mean. It's not even conscious. It's just, mm -hmm. I think if everybody can come from that, that would be sort of a key to unlock this door. Because I just know from my own experience, like I just, I'm just exhausted. <laughs> I'm beyond exhausted 
you know, saying opt for joy, opt for health, opt for independence, and it just doesn't go anywhere. So I've taken on a different tone. When I was talking about your medical degree that you're pursuing, I wasn't talking about you bartering or using your skill set to do something physically. I was talking about your command. So you asked us, how do I go from being the parent's child to the adult child? Well, you're more than that. Now you're becoming a doctor. So you get to use that sort of command of like, hey, (laughs) this is a medical professional speaking to you now, not even your daughter. And then, Zoe, you have to also just let go. I hate to say it. But if you're exhausted and you see your dad being exhausted, I can only tell you that the only person you can save in this lifetime is you. It took me forever to realize that love isn't saving people. I attached, I'm going to save you with I love you. And it's not what works ultimately, right? Your dad has his own journey. You know, my dad took care of my mom for years, for years and years and years, just waited on her hand and foot until he couldn't anymore because he loves her. You have to realize that when we see other people doing for others and we think we need to help them with their boundaries, we have to realize that they get juice from it. They get some kind of validation for being that person for that person. And again, not conscious. You can't fight your dad's battles. He's a grown man. He has his own journey, his own track in this lifetime, just as you do, just as your mom does. You know, you can only do so much until you put yourself in complete exhaustion and depletion. Well, I guess that's what I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> like, yeah. is there any way? Because it's not like I haven't even tried having this conversation with him. Well, it's because you don't think in your letter to us, you said, how can I respectfully tell my mom to take responsibility? You're still too worried about the respect part. Yeah. You still think respect is being dutiful and being the daughter and being sort of that person who's told what to do and you do it because you're being respectful. In order to do this, in order to assert boundaries, you have to forget about, is this respectful, right? I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You just have the wrong definition. You've outgrown that. You're now an adult. You're in medical school. You're 27 years old. Respect, to me, is honesty. That's respect. Stuffing my feelings and being dutiful is not respectful because it's not honest. So maybe if you just completely transform your definition of what respect is, you could get stuff done. And you'd be okay saying, mom, it's to your left. Get the spoon. You know, I want to be here. I'll help when I can. Dad, I see you doing too much, but this has to stop. And this is not helping mom to be enabled in this way because she's not empowered. And then you won't have the guilts. And by the way, it'll trigger everybody around you because they're not used to you being this person, right? You have to walk away going, okay, people are going to be upset with me for five minutes, five days. And that's okay. Like, that's fine. No one's going to die because you spoke your mind. And also, Zoe, I think that April is completely correct. There's one thing I know having aging parents is that they love to tell stories. I wonder, too, if you have gotten into, like most of us, especially in our 20s, especially when, like, you're building your career, you get into a pattern of dialogue with your parents, And maybe you could start to open up that a little bit more. You could ask your mom, like, what moments in her career does she remember that felt really rewarding to her? Or ask her for advice for you. Like, it requires generosity and patience to communicate like this. But it is part of the transition that happens as you become the adult to your parents, which hasn't happened quite yet for you, but it will 
you know, Mm -hmm. and you kind of need to indulge sort of some of that dialogue and to hear who they are as people. So ask your mom specifically about the stories of her life, and that may help some of this go down a little easier. Yeah, because that goes back to the attention thing, right? Nothing will change until your mom is given the right attention. I would rather get her a great therapist than a physical therapist because the mindset is what's going to make her want to do her exercises, build her strength, work on the muscles, overcome the pain. That needs to be satisfied. There's something bigger there, deeper there. It's an old thing, and it didn't start with the injury. It was just a catalyst, but it was before that, and that needs some love and attention. And what Anna is saying is, instead of like everybody being upset with one another, when you are with her, giving her the attention of like the reverie of those moments, right? Like get her into discussion of the heydays, right? If you can get her into those moments, that helps too, instead of just tackling the physical stuff, because that will help her to relive maybe. Is that what you're kind of going with that, Anna? Yeah, because it sounds like I'm not quite sure what her level of bitterness is. But if you know, Zoe, that she used to love her job, she's clearly talked about it. Because I do think that being able to tell her stories may bring some joy to her and remind her of her old independence. And you would slowly graduate to an adult relationship with your adult parents. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah, she needs some attention in a different way than just everybody's focusing on her pain and her mobility and not enough of her mental well-being. You know, when you're depressed, it doesn't matter how many people say, get off off the couch, do it, do it, do it. If you've ever had a personal physical injury, you know the feeling of this, which is like everybody tells you to be more positive and get out and exercise and you just can't seem to get out of bed. So That's a huge, huge part of it. And it leaves its mark. Even after the pain is long gone, it's kind of like the depression stays for a while. Zoe, do you kind of keep your feelings close to the vest? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a time for a switch. Like, I think this is time to not internalize your feelings. This is the time to put everything out on the table and it's going to feel really weird and it's going to feel super uncomfortable. Let me ask you this. What's the worst thing? And I'm not talking about you're never going to use anger or frustration. If you're angry and frustrated at your mom or your dad, that means you're not in full command. So what would be the worst thing in the world if you had figured out what the boundaries are, what you're willing to do, what you're not willing to do, and then you went and calmly spoke to dad 
and then separately to mom and then maybe collectively everybody together. What's the worst case scenario if you were to do that? We all get upset a little. (laughs) And when they get upset, what happens? My dad usually shuts down and goes to sleep. I honestly don't know what my mom does. So, you know, you say, dad, you know, you're doing too much. I'm doing too much. It's all falling on my shoulders. I'm the baby. (laughs) Here's what's going on. And he goes radio silent and he shuts down and he goes to his bedroom and he doesn't talk to you for the rest of the day. Then what? I'm very anxious. You're anxious. Okay. And then what? Ruminating. Does he ever come out and talk to you the next day? I mean, will will you guys have coffee in the morning? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So what I'm saying is, Nobody dies. Nobody loses a limb, right? It's just, there's a momentary, maybe a 24-hour period where he shuts down, but he always comes back. Mm-hmm. You're not willing to move past the pain point. You're basically not doing for yourself what you're asking your mom to do. Your mom doesn't want to go and pick up the spoon because it hurts a little bit, so she'd rather do nothing. But you're doing the same thing. You're not willing to go through a 24-hour period of feeling anxious or like nervous that you just disrupted the family dynamic. You've never seen what's on the other side because you're not willing to be uncomfortable. April, do you think that, like, if Zoe were to start out a conversation, you know, it's really hard for me to witness this, and I love you, and I'm at a place in my life where I'm clearly really independent and driven. And so I understand that I'm kind of bringing that to the table here as well. But mom, it is really frustrating for me when I come home to witness you not kind of doing anything to help yourself get a little stronger. I want you to be happy and healthy as much as you can be. Is that a kind of conversation that you envision, April? Yeah, it's just not enough. And it goes in, (laughs) Zoe's laughing, it goes in one ear and out the other. I mean, just from personal experience, what I would do first is figure out, okay, what does my mom value? Despite the pain, forget about that. What does she value? What does motivate her? What does make her tick? Because sometimes when we tell people, do it for yourself, they don't do it. Or if you say, do it for me, all of a sudden they just rally. And it just depends on the person, right? What motivates them? So we got to figure out what motivates your mom to action, not just to feel something, but is there anything that you see your mom like voraciously doing that she's dedicated to doing? She went to medical school, you know, better than anybody. Like that's really hard to become a doctor. That's a lot of hard work and absolute sacrifice. That Uh woman knows how to sacrifice and she knows how to work hard. So what happened to her work ethic? How can we tap into that again? Have you heard of Story Worth? No. What's that? Story Worth is something that my brother got from my folks that they love. They send you a question and you write an essay. And it has been great for us as children because my parents get to write out all their memories. They'll bind it in a book for you and send it to you at the end of the year or whatever. But it's forced them to write and reflect. And it's just been really great. Good. They like to read us their essays and, you know, whatever. But something maybe along those lines would be interesting to examine if she if she's at home all day and was once a really driven, ambitious person, it might be helpful for her mental health to kind of reflect on some of those things and then to be able to share them with you. Mm -hmm. And because I do think that with a shift in your relationship, 
you'll have to kind of have that element too of like sort of the indulgent listening to a lot of stories and ask her questions, ask for her advice. April, do you think I'm right about this stuff? It's all great. I just think there's not one magic bullet. It's a good Christmas gift. Yes, (laughs) totally. Yeah, exactly. It's a good Christmas gift. It's just many things. The story worth, I just wrote it down too. I think that's awesome, right? But in order for somebody to actually use it, (laughs) they have to be in the curiosity stage, right? The sharing stage. So we got to get them there first and then give them the present of StoryWorth, which is really, really cool. Every kid should give that to their parents. Your mom's a doctor. Even though she doesn't practice, she's a doctor. She already knows this stuff. She already knows she needs to build her strength. She already knows that she needs physical independence. It's something deeper. We haven't really gone into her psychology. And it's almost like she's crying out for attention And so give her the attention. And all of a sudden, like, you'll start to see that person all of a sudden doing the things that they weren't doing before because that aspect of the brain got satiated and cared for. Because it's like, hey, toughen up and go do this or I'll do it for you. Everybody's kind of in this middle ground and then everybody's upset, right? No one's getting their needs met. And by the way, she's not fully loving it either because if that's not making you guys happy, it's not like she wants you to be unhappy, you know, but telling her, this is hard and I'm exhausted and dad's doing everything. I don't like that the dad gets, you know, attacked every time he walks in the door. You know, you have to realize he's a grown man, most likely an intellectual, and he knows better too. And so you got to let him fight his own battles. The only thing you can say to your dad is, dad, it hurts me to see you in this way. And is there anything I can do, dad, to support you as the person who's become sort of the primary caregiver? Because the caregiver gets often forgotten right? They have their own stress. They have their own depression because it gets hard, right? To Mm -hmm. care for somebody. So dad, I hate to see you like this. What can I do to support you? And if he doesn't do anything and if he shuts down, you have to let it go. You have to just let these people be who they are supposed to be. This is their track. This is their life. Everything, believe it or not, not the injury, but everything after that is a choice. And part of this transition that we make is learning to be generous with our parents. It's hard, to, but yeah. Mm-hmm. It is really hard. <laughs> We're not used to it. But Zoe, if you, the next time you went over there, if you offered to give her a foot massage, like a lot of physical touch, like be more tender with her than you have been in that physical way, I think. It'll be interesting to see how she reacts to it. Yeah, because everybody's doing the babying of the physical but they're not doing the babying of the heart, of the emotion, which is what is driving the lack of desire to be more mobile and independent. What do you think of what we're saying? Is it, I feel like it's a big ask. It is a big ask. I mean, like Anna said, it's like, you just need to have a lot of patience and generosity. Generosity. And I know that I don't have that a lot of the time, which is a me thing. It'll be good practice for your bedside manner. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) Think of it as practice. For your practice. Yeah. You know, the internalizing feelings, the worrying about being respectful, that's what you can control right now, Zoe. The rest of the stuff, your mom gaining independence, your dad standing in his boundaries, unfortunately, you can't control that. You can control how you react, how you express yourself, get rid of this old, old, old model of respect the parents by internalizing feelings and not sharing what you want to share. Because you, as a grown child now, can actually be the leader and the teacher. You can actually transform the adults, right, by you changing 
by you saying, hey, this is how it's going to get done from here on out. And it's just honesty. It's not, you're not angry. You're not upset. You're not frustrated. You're just telling things as they are. And a lot of us hold back on those things because we're worried. Like, oh, they're going to walk out the door. They're going to be mad. And that's why I'm doing that what if game with you, because at the end of the day, nothing bad really happens. And Zoe, do know, though, that this is happening to you a little too young in your life. When we think about like the idea of being generous towards your parents, it will initially feel exhausting and thankless, probably a little bit until people get used to establishing a new pattern of your exchanges. Like there probably isn't too many conversations of substance happening. You just have an early burden of it and with all the stuff you're doing. But I think with a little bit of investment, of generosity and patience, it will become a lot easier for you. Yeah, I definitely thought I was late to the game. I thought like fresh out of college, I should know how to do this. I don't know why I thought that. (laughs) You're hard on yourself. You have a lot of- Shocking. Yeah, you have a, yeah, exactly. You have a lot of expectation of yourself, of perfection. You got to let that go. Like you're great. Just be nicer to yourself, Zoe. I'm really proud of you, Zoe. I'm like super (laughs) impressed. I think you really can reframe this situation with your folks. Mm -hmm. It's just going to take generosity. Zoe, was any of this helpful? Yeah, no, definitely. It's definitely not what I expected either. So that's very helpful. Well, good, because we aim to surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you so much for talking with us and congratulations. Thank you. All right, Zoe, you can do this. You can do this. Thank you. You're so welcome. Bye. Bye, Zoe. April, I love your advice so much. I think that was giving Zoe a lot of tools, you know, to reframe this. Yeah, it's scary. Like so many people, we think our problem is one thing, but it's actually deeper. And when we approach it from that perspective of like, how do we change? We don't need to change what is happening. We just, we need to do the changing. That's when the freedom will truly come. April, I'm always so happy to see you. Thank you. Thank you, honey. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, April. Bye. Bye. 